continue our series Ephesians today. And Ephesians is one of my favorite New Testament books, but it's not always an easy read. We've got to remind ourselves that this book's written by the Apostle Paul, and Paul was a, a kind of pure-blood Pharisee. Um, he referred to himself as being of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee. So this is one ultra-smart Jewish guy writing. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Peter, who was a kind of ordinary working-class fisherman, makes this comment about Paul's writing, which he does in, in 2 Peter 3, where he says, some things in them are hard to understand, being dissed by a fisherman. So if you find some of Paul's writings a little tricky, that's fine, you're in good company. And certainly the passage we're looking at today isn't entirely straightforward. But just because something's difficult doesn't mean that we shouldn't wrestle with it. And the beauty of today's passage is that if we do wrestle with it, the text is going to give us some incredibly powerful and practical tips that are going to have the ability to change the way we pray and not only that, they'll help us to pray effectively for others, and we will see how we can use this passage to reimagine something of the way that Jesus might pray blessings over us. We can actually hear this passage as God expressing his heart for us. So we're looking at Ephesians chapter 1, from verse 15 through to 19. And the words will come up on the screen. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I'm not sure how easy you find it to pray consistently for others. I try and be methodical. You know, in my Bible, I've got a, a small list uh, which I, I use, and uh, there's about 40 people on, on this list that I keep and try and pray for regularly. Uh, and the list includes kind of family, uh, renewal staff members, uh, close friends, my community group members, and so on. And each day I try and select a few people from this list and pray for them. So over the course of a week, everyone gets a mention. But if I'm honest, that's often all it is. It's a mention. You know, maybe you, like me, struggle with 
praying for others. Maybe you, like me, struggle to get beyond God bless so-and-so. And to actually go a bit deeper and a bit further, you find tricky, because after a sentence or two, it's easy to, to dry up. But the beauty of this passage is that Paul is going to give us some, some language, some vocabulary, some ammunition, which will energize and extend our prayers. The passage begins for this reason. And if you're curious like I am, you want to begin by saying, well, what's the reason then? You know, why is Paul praying this prayer for this reason? And as Wangi explained last week, much of the preceding part of this letter is kind of one long sentence where Paul is kind of gushing out an exclamation of all the blessings that believers have in Christ. That were chosen and predestined, were marked, were given the Holy Spirit. And so as we begin, we see that Paul is effectively saying, come on, you guys. There's so much more on offer. You haven't got a clue. You've just got a glimpse of it. For this reason. So Paul's praying, I'm going to pray that you guys get it. This is Paul brimming over with enthusiasm and excitement of the goodness of God, longing for God's people to know it, to get it. Now, I'm, I'm British, and as, as a race, we are not known for our excessive enthusiasm. And I probably do excitement once a decade. And I actually got reasonably close to getting excited yesterday. So I'm going to struggle today to give a sense of God's excitement or Paul's excitement in this passage. Because Paul has glimpsed what's possible for God's people and is yearning for the Ephesian church to get it to. You see, I think our best prayers for others come from knowing the goodness that God wants to do for them. The goodness that what God wants to show for the people he loves. And just maybe our praying needs to be a little less intellectual and reflective, and we need to develop a bit more of that kind of Pentecostal passion. As a pretty person, I need that. And you all missed such a great opportunity, given our men there. For this reason... And Paul goes on, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. You know, our praying becomes at its very best when our motivation to pray stems from gratitude and not from duty. You know, I'm not sure about you, but much of my praying for others can often be along the lines of, God, please change them, rather than, God, thank you for them. And we need the help of the Holy Spirit to genuinely and deeply appreciate people. You know, I'm so grateful that, there's in, in, that in this community there's, there's people, multiple people, who I genuinely and deeply appreciate. You know, I thank God for them. I appreciate them. I applaud them. There's multiple people in this room who I value so, so much. But the reality, too, is that there's other people in this room, who I tolerate. 
So when Paul prays, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I have to say, Lord, please help me to move from tolerance to thanksgiving. And note, too, the characteristics that Paul particularly gives thanks for. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Now, Paul's gratitude is flowing particularly from those who show faith and those who show love. And that's way more than warm, fuzzy feelings. This is faith and love in action. So, of course, the question we have to ask ourselves is, does the community around us characterize us, us by our love and our faith expressed in action? Is this how people on the fringe of Renewal Church see Renewal people? They are so full of love in action. Paul goes on to give us some top tips for how to pray for our community, things we can lift and use as tools our praying. And remember, more than that, we can reimagine these ideas, these themes, as being God's desire or Jesus' prayers for us. I've got six. First this, verse 17. That he may give you the Spirit. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul says, I keep asking. I keep asking. You know, our prayers must persist. We've got to stop quitting prematurely. Paul keeps asking. That God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, because the heart of the Father is always to give us the spirit Remember, Paul says it's the Spirit who helps us in our weakness. You know, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And the Spirit's the Spirit of wisdom. If any one of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So the heart of God is that he gives us, fills us with his spirit. The spirit will help us in our weakness and give us the wisdom we need. How good is that? Almost worth getting excited about. Second this, that eyes are enlightened. Paul prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. When I read this verse, it struck a chord with me. You see, I've got a a small cataract in my my right eye. And that means that uh, the sight in my right eye is a little misty and cloudy. There's a decrease in my vision. And I actually need a minor operation to stop the vision becoming cloudy. Cataracts are are pretty common, pretty normal as you get older. And then it struck me, here's the thing, that many of us get older, and what happens is that we allow our spiritual vision to get cloudy. 
we become a bit jaded, a bit hardened, a bit familiar. So we need to hear this prayer of Paul over the Ephesian church and over us too, that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened. Now in the scriptures, the heart is the seat of the emotions. So Paul's prayer is that they, the Ephesian church, and we may so grasp this revelation of the goodness of God that's made to the mind, it actually begins to enlighten, move, and motivate our hearts. You know, we need that heart motivation, that readiness to serve, because we've begun to understand experientially the power of the truth that we've been taught. So Paul's praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that we may feel the truth, not just in our intellect, but also deep in our emotions. Third this, verse 18, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. This is so, so important. Because one of the things that breaks my heart, one of the things I find so tricky in church leadership is when I engage with people who I know have lost hope. It's heartbreaking. On a weekly basis, I'm, I'm chatting with people and I can see there's a, a void of hope. Sometimes coming through a bad health report or they've lost their job or relationships are tricky. And maybe they've just lost their way. And hope dies quickly. And Paul's praying here that we might know the hope to which he has called us. And we don't just need any old hope. We need the hope in God's calling. There's a difference. We can summon up hope or we can find hope knowing God's calling. Knowing that God has the last word. Knowing that he does transform, that he does Intervene, but he does move mountains, he does change hearts, he does turn up unexpectedly, he does change us. And that kind of hope breeds a resilience in us that we deeply, deeply need. And the good thing we can learn from Paul's prayers is there's an offer today of a fresh infusion of God's hope. Maybe we've missed an amen moment. Fourth this, that we can know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. You know, we cannot begin to name the riches of being God's people. We can't do that justice. Wangi did a great job last week. But we will see Jesus face to face. We will be in the presence of God. We will have a time where every pain in life will be resolved. And we are valuable to God because he purchased us through Jesus' death on the cross. You know, God doesn't need us. God wants us. And we've got a great inheritance in God. It's like a, a great bank account where there's a deposit of resources we can draw upon. We can learn to draw strength or comfort or encouragement or correction, whatever we need. And there's two signatories on the account. One's the Holy Spirit and the second is yourself. 
And when mature sign, deposits can be drawn on daily, moment by moment. And Paul's praying that we know the riches of his glory. This is way more than a, a simple intellectual knowledge. You know, being to the ocean, swimming in the ocean, smelling the salt in the air, tasting the salt on your tongue, having the feeling of sand between your toes is powerfully different than reading about the ocean in a book. One simply mental knowledge, the rest is experiential knowledge. Fifth, this that we can know power. Paul reminds us, verse 18, that there is incomparably great power for us who believe. You know, we all want power today. We all need power. And it doesn't come from money or prestige or position. And Paul's reminding us here and reminding the, even, the Ephesians church that we have the power and it is incomparably great. You know, we have way more power than we realize. And those power capsules are there in jars of Clay. Paul says we've got treasures in jars of clay. And sometimes we don't see the treasure because all we can see is the jar of clay. And that's true both when we look at ourselves and when we look at others. Easy to see the jars of clay, but sometimes we need to spot the treasure. I don't know about you, but I often feel I need more power. And Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, the heart of God for us, Paul's prayer for others, and how we can pray for others is that we can learn to access this incomparably great power. I'm an, uh, an educator by background, and the, the German educator Kurt Hahn, who founded the Round Square groups of schools, famously told his students this, there is more in you than you think. There's more in you than you think. And sometimes as a church, we need to hear that. There's more in you than you think. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And finally this, the critical bit. I skipped this bit earlier because it's the best bit. And I wanted to save it till last. Jumping back to verse 17, so that you may know him better. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Seven simple words, but full of poignant power, so that you may know him better. Because that's always the yearning of the Father, that we may know him better. Not as a distant spectator, not as a passing acquaintance, but as a sustaining presence, that we may know him better. Never disqualified, 
never rejected, always embraced, that we may know him better. And that's what we're made for. That's our design. That's our purpose, that we may know him better. So use this prayer as a prayer both to inform and engage and motivate your praying for others, but also use this prayer as a sense of reimagining Jesus praying these things over you. Let's pray together. Let's stand as we pray. I'm going to ask the band to to come back to help us. We simply want to pray, come, Holy Spirit, speak to us afresh this day. Thank you that you've spoken and you will continue to speak. And I love today just to offer prayer for those of us who, who need it. And there's two things I'd love us to use, maybe as a focus for our praying for each other. I'm sure all of us can relate to Paul's cry that we may know him better. But maybe there's some here today who you say, I'm not sure I know him at all. that's you, we would love to pray with you today. And the second thing I'd love us to think on today is just to offer prayer for those for whom my simple little cataract illustration made sense, that if, you, if you're honest with yourself, you, you know that your, your vision's become misty just become a bit jaded a bit muted you're not seeing God in the way you once did and you'd love to see more clearly you shake off the familiarity and the slight hardening apart If either of those themes make sense to you, uh, we'd love to pray for you. Maybe you just, perhaps, uh, as a simple response, just put your hands out as a, an expression of your desire to surrender afresh to God. And if you're standing near someone who you can see is responding to God, maybe you put their hands out, uh, just gently put a, a hand on their shoulder and silently pray for them, knowing that you're standing with God's people.
So, Father, our hearts desire is that we might know you better. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd come and fill each one of us afresh this morning. That we would know your power, your incomparably great power. That we would receive again the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That we would, that we would know the hope to which you've called us. We would know the riches of your glorious inheritance in us, your people. So nice to see you, so glad you're here.